Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we began a brand new series called Behold, a Study of Angels. You know, angels were so prevalent in the birth of Christ, and we are going to trace that throughout Scripture through this uh, study. Well, today we're going to start with an older man named Zachariah and his wife named Elizabeth. And what we are going to see is when the angel Gabriel announces that they are going to have a son in their old age, well, what it did is it revealed the unbelief and the doubt in Zechariah's heart. Well, Scripture says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and they were blameless before God. And the point of today, the point of this sermon is that you and I can be born again. We can be right righteous before God, and yet unbelief be in our life, doubt be in our heart. We're going to learn many things from God's Word today. I'm glad you're listening to this episode of Awakened to Grace. Well, today we're going to be introduced to a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah is going to have an encounter with angels. And you know, it's interesting because Luke 23 times is going to mention angels in his gospel. But listen, he writes about many angels throughout the entire book of Acts. It was the angel of the Lord that struck down and killed King Herod. It was an angel of God that rescued Peter out of prison. What a story that is in Acts chapter 12. It was an angel that appeared to Paul when he was going to be shipwrecked and assured him that God was with him and was going to spare not only his life, but the lives of everyone on board. You know what is so interesting to me as I've studied angels now, what is so interesting to me is that the temptation for you and I is to become infatuated to become so curious and so interested in the reality of angels that if you and I are not careful, we'll kind of get out of balance in our thinking of it. Well, do you know what fascinates me about angels in the Bible? Is that there is not one section of the scriptures solely dedicated to the teaching of angels. Did you know that? There's not one chapter in the Bible that, is te- that tells us all that we need to know about angels. There's not even a chunk of Scripture that tells us what we would love to know about angels. But yet, we meet the first angel in the Garden of Eden. Remember, we were there a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3. It was a cherubim that God put to guard the pathway to the tree of the, of the life in the Garden of Eden. And yet we meet angels in the last chapter of the Bible, chapter 22. The Bible is prevalent with angels. All the way from Genesis to Revelation. You look at the life of Daniel. You look at the life of Ezekiel. You look at the life of Isaiah. You look at all of these tremendous stories throughout the Old Testament. And angels are laced and weaved in and out and throughout the entire Old Covenant. Then you come to the New Testament and oh my goodness, angels are everywhere. 
You come to the birth of Christ and they're so involved in the birth of Christ. They're so involved in the ministry of Christ. They were involved in strengthening him and ministering to him in his time of temptation. They were with him through his miracles and his earthly ministry. They had such a dominant role in his resurrection. They strengthened him in the garden of Gethsemane. There's only one point in the life of Christ where we don't see angels. And you know where it was? On the cross. Because he had to do that alone. Angels are throughout all of church history. And they're throughout the entire book of Acts. They're throughout the epistles. And where are angels the most dominant in all of scripture? The book of Revelation. What did we say through our study? We encountered angels 60 times in the 22 chapters of Revelation. And the book contains 80 references to angels. And we met them 60 times. 234 times the Bible mentions good angels. 278 times the Bible speaks of God as the Lord of hosts or the Lord over the, over the armies of heaven. What is that, my friends? That is the angelic host. Isn't that fascinating? Over 500 references to angels in the Bible. But here's what I want you to understand today. While there are 500 references to angels in the Bible, there is not one chapter and not one large section of scripture dedicated to them. Why would you suppose that is? I think the reason why is because in God's kingdom, in God's universe, in God's order, in God's creation, you know what? Angels are quite commonplace. They're weaved in and out of his story. They're part of the kingdom of God. They're part of the scriptures. And you know what, my friends? I believe they're part of our lives as well. We should not be infatuated with angels. We should not be so intrigued that we pray to angels or that we worship angels. You remember John, the apostle, in the book of Revelation, twice he fell down to worship the angel. And do you remember what the angel did? Sir, you must not do that. What did he say in chapter 22? The angel said, no, John. He said, I am a fellow servant with you and those who believe in Jesus. Huh. Angels are fellow servants. They're not to be prayed to. They are not to be worshipped. They are not to be fascinated on. No, or infatuated with. There's just... They're part of the story. And you know what? I think as we go throughout our study, I think you'll find they're part of your story too. And they're active in your life. What is, what is an angel's responsibility? Go with me before we lay out our text. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Of all scriptures that tell us about angels, Hebrews 1.14 is perhaps the most definitive. And in Hebrews 1.14, we see, number one, the essence of angels. And we see, number two, the responsibility of angels. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, 
Are they not all ministering spirits? So what are angels? They are supernatural creations of God. Just as we are a creation of God, angels are a creation of God. And see, you must understand, my friends, when a loved one passes away, they do not become an angel. When a baby passes away or a miscarriage or something like that, that baby does not become an angel. That's a false teaching. Angels were created before humanity was created. We see, that's why we see angels before the Garden of Eden, involved in the Garden of Eden. They were created, we believe, before humanity was created. And they're a higher order because Scripture says that when Christ became a man, he became a little lower than the angels. He took on a robe of flesh. Jesus taught us in Matthew that angels do not marry, and he taught us in Matthew that angels never die. They are eternal. Why? Because they're not physical beings. They are spirits. They are spiritual beings. They are an order of God's creation. And I believe they were created before humanity. Now, what is their purpose? Well, their essence, are they not all spirits, ministering spirits? And then what's the next part of the verse? Sent from God. (laughs) Their purpose is to do the plans and the purposes and to accomplish the will of God. Keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 and go over for a moment to Psalms 103 verses 20 and 21. Say, my goodness, you're having me turn a lot today, Chad. Psalms 103, verse 20 and 21, what does it say? David calls angels, O mighty ones of God, I love that, who performs God's word. Verse 21, who accomplishes or does the will of God. What is the role of an angel? What is his responsibility? Angels perform the will of God. Angels do the task of God. Angels accomplish the word of God. You know what that means, my friends? That means that God sends them on purpose in the earth. And just as there were angelic activities in the Old Testament, just like there were angelic activities throughout the early church, my friends, there are angelic activities today in our day that we are living. Some of you, perhaps you have not yet heard, and I would encourage you to go on our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, or on our website, awakentograce.com, in the sermons folder, There's a folder called Rescued, and it's the story. My mom, it is her story of how when she was pregnant with me, she was literally kidnapped at knife point. And do you know, my friends, that an angel of God rescued her and me? If you haven't heard it, you should go listen to it. It's called Rescued. Joy Bollinger, who is a wonderful friend, and her late husband was a mighty man of prayer and a deacon here in our church, and 
he transitioned to glory back in April. And Joy has recently relocated back to Florida after Michael's passing. But before she left, we were able to record a podcast with her that we're going to release next week. And it's called The Angel Who Lived Upstairs. And it's a story of how an angel rescued Joy. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Why do I emphasize this? Because look back again at Hebrews 1.14. What is the essence of angels? Well, they're ministering spirits. What is their job? They are sent from God to do what? Psalms 103 verses 20 and 21. They perform the word of God. They accomplish the will of God. And what, do, what are they involved in? Go back to Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out from God for what purpose? For those who will inherit eternal life. <laughs> you know what that means, my friends? That means our lives are filled with angelic activity, whether you ever see it or not. Our lives are filled with angelic protection. Does everyone have a guardian angel? The biblical answer is no. You know what the Bible says in Psalms? It says, the angel of the Lord encamps about those who what? Fear him. Not everyone has a guardian angel. It's those who belong to the Lord. It's those who are God's property. It's those who they have been given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. John 1, 12. Amen. So, whether you realize it or not, angels are active in your life. Whether you see it or not, Angels are performing God's will in your life. They are keeping you from potential dangers. Often they're keeping you out of harm's way. Often, I believe, they'll minister strength to you and help to you. Often they will be part of answering prayers as they were with Daniel. But listen, we are not to look to angels. Do you know why? Because as thrilling of an idea that it is, that God is dispatching angels to accomplish his will in our life, as thrilling as that is, don't get infatuated with that. You know why? Because do you know who resides within you? The Holy Spirit. Oh, let's don't ever be offensive to the Holy Spirit by overlooking his guidance, his anointing, his help, his comfort, his teachings. Let's don't ever overlook the essential Holy Spirit by asking for an angel. Can we say amen to that today? So we do not worship angels as is taught in Scripture. John could not worship. And, and, and by the way, you know there are many instances in the Old Testament where Scholars believe that an angel, what Scripture termed an angel of the Lord, was the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how you can tell when it is the Lord Jesus Christ in particular? Take, for example, Joshua at Jericho in Joshua 5. When Joshua encounters the captain of the Lord of hosts, what the Bible terms as an angel, do you remember what happened? 
He said, take off your shoes and worship here on holy ground. An angel would have never done that. An ordinary angel. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. An angel will never be worshipped. The only other angel that ever tried to be worshipped was Lucifer, and that got him in a world of trouble. (laughs) So let's go today to Luke chapter 1. We're going to encounter this angel named Gabriel. Now, it's fascinating. How many angels did God create? Well, we don't know because Job 25 says they are innumerable. In Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 12, says that they are innumerable. And then John uses a fascinating term. I believe in Revelation 5, he uses a fascinating term and he calls them Myriad upon myriad. And what, was, what is that? In the Greek, myriad is the highest numerical value. And in, in, the, in, the, in, in ancient days, that highest numerical ver- value was 10,000. And what John is saying, it's an idiom, that what he's saying is there are myriads upon myriads, Tens of thousands upon tens of thousands. In other words, it's an idiom of what he's trying to say is they're innumerable. You can't calculate them. That's how many angels there are. So in Luke chapter 1, we are introduced to a man named Zechariah. And what a fascinating man he is. In verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4... Luke is going to set up his gospel. The book is actually written as well as Acts. It's written to a man named Theophilus. Now, what's interesting is scholars are not quite sure who Theophilus was. We don't know if he was a man who was seeking to know the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know if he was a man who perhaps he was new to the faith and he was being discipled. Luke makes it clear in the first few verses that he's writing to Theophilus to help him gain surety and assurance, certainty of who Jesus is. We don't know if Theophilus perhaps was a title. It could have been an honorary title. He could have been a man of great nobility. We don't know. But nonetheless, whoever Theophilus was, both the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts were addressed to him. Now, Luke is going to do something for us that I think is interesting. He's going to say in verse number five, when he introduces us to Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's first going to remind us that these are in the days of King Herod. If you remember, King Herod is the one who called for all the children, all the boys in Israel, three years old and under, that would have been in the vicinity of Jesus for them all to be killed. King Herod was a wicked, wicked man. And do you know what I think that Dr. Luke is doing for us? Why would he say that in the days of King Herod, in the hill country, was Zechariah? You know what I think he is setting up for us? I think he's saying that King Herod had all the notoriety. King Herod had all the popularity. Everyone knew King Herod's name. He was a household name, and he was abundantly wicked. But here is this no-name guy who Luke is going to give us a little bit of a profile. 
And if you're going to take notes, I want you to jot down the profile of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke's going to give us his profile, and he begins in verse number six. And here's what we know about Zechariah. Both he and his wife Elizabeth, we know that they were righteous and they were blameless before God. I think what Luke is saying is here is the man with all the notoriety and all the wealth and all the fame and all of the honor, and he's a wicked man. And here's Zechariah, a nobody, an average Joe, who no one knew his name, who's from the hill country. But you know what God knew about him? Here is the wicked King Herod, but here's what God says about Zechariah. He was a righteous man. Friends, do you know what that says to me? Is that God knows our lives. Let me tell you, when God looks at me, I don't care if after I pass from this world, if anyone ever knows my name or anything I did or anything that was ever accomplished, you know what I want? I want God to say he was righteous. And you know, no one can say that about you except God himself. Someone can have self-righteousness. Someone can have fake righteousness. Someone can have religion and all the bells and whistles. But let me tell you, God himself knows whether you are a righteous person or not. And isn't it comforting that God really knows our lives? Even if you're just someone who's from the hill country, God knows you and he sees your life. They were not only righteous, but both he and his wife, Elizabeth, they were blameless before God. Then in verse 7, it's going to tell us a little more. The Bible says that they were advanced in years. And the Bible, now listen, when the Bible says advanced in years, scholars believe that is a threshold in age. And it means that they were 80 years old plus. So this gives us a little snippet into Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were advanced in years, and now here is the most important thing. They were righteous before God. They were blameless. They were of old age. But listen, they had never had children. Now, in our culture today, a couple may choose not to have children. But in these days, in this culture... Society looked down on people who couldn't have children. It was, viewed, it was viewed as they had done something against God. God was in some way judging them. And isn't it interesting that Luke goes to the trouble to say, listen, society may say they were barren. Society may say God was judging them. But no, no, no. Here's the truth of the matter. They were righteous and they were blameless before God. Isn't that fascinating? You know what that means? People can have the wrong view of you, but who cares? People can think whatever they want to think about you, but let me tell you, when all the dust settles, the only thing that matters is what does God say and what does God think? That's why David said in Psalm 139, precious to me, oh God, are your thoughts. I don't care what people think about me. I care what does God say. What does God think? Amen. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, 
you can always download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakenedtograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awakened to Grace.